Morning, all. Um, welcome, everybody. Um, great to see you all, particularly. Uh, good to see Tom and Charlie and Arthur. Um, and some of the land contingent back. Well done for getting out of bed. So to get back to the idea of what a shepherd was in Bible times, I'm going to show some pictures from a collection of photographs taken in Palestine in the first decades of the 20th century. They show a world which, until the mid-20th century, had remained almost unchanged for centuries. This photo shows a young shepherd boy. And although we don't know for certain whether or not Psalm 23 was actually composed by David, the note at the top of the psalm says, a psalm of David, which may just mean it was dedicated to David. But it certainly fits the context of David's early life very well. As a boy, David had kept watch over his father's sheep. And when David was about to fight Goliath, he recalled his work as a shepherd. He said, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his hair and struck him and killed him. So this shows that being a shepherd was dangerous work. It involved fending off predatory animals and making sure the sheep were always safe. And it was also difficult work. Shepherds had to endure hot days and cold nights out in the open. They would have to walk up to 10 miles a day, leading the sheep to show them the way over rocky ground to find grass or suitable places to drink. So with this dual role of both guarding the sheep from danger and caring for the sheep in all their needs... It's a lovely metaphor for the psalmist to use to describe God's relationship with him. So this image of God as a shepherd is used elsewhere in the Old Testament, both to describe God's relationship with Israel as a whole, so you see here in Psalm 80, and also by Jacob when he looks back at the end of his life at the way God has been with him at all times throughout Psalm 23 portrays God in a personal way as the shepherd of an individual. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This shepherd cares for the physical needs of the psalmist, the pastures and still waters which are so essential to the physical survival of the sheep are under his care. But the metaphor extends to show God cares also for our spiritual needs, restores my life or restores my soul or restores my life could refer both to saving physically from a situation of danger as shepherds in Israel often had to do but also to saving spiritually restoring a sinful person to a right relationship with God and he says he leads me in the paths of righteousness it could mean both that God guides us to do what is right but also that he forgives us and he counts us as being righteous even when we fall short and even though we have a shepherd, it doesn't mean life is easy, as we see in verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But even here, the psalmist fears no evil, for you are with me. In fact, it's at this point in the psalm that when the trials and suffering press most closely upon him, the psalm becomes even more personal. Instead of addressing God in the third person as the Lord, he then addresses him here as in the first person, you are with me. So in times of greatest hardship is when he feels closest to God. 
And shepherds in Israel carried a rod, which was like a kind of club used to fend off wild animals, and a staff, which was a crook, which was a long stick used to guide the sheep with a hook on the end to pull up a sheep if they fell down in a hole in the ground. And also, which the shepherd used to tap on the ground at night to show um, the sheep where he was. So we've seen in this uh, verses 2 and 3 how the caring role of the shepherd is applied to God. And also in verse 4, God is shown to be a shepherd who protects his sheep from danger, even in the most difficult of circumstances. So with the last two verses of the psalm, there is a change of scene from pastoral to domestic. Um, it says, now, now, so now in the house of the Lord, um, God himself is the generous host. He's prepared a table, a banquet to which we are all invited. And there's still hints of danger and threats. This table is in the presence of the psalmist's enemies. But even in the presence of his enemies, he can experience the blessings and goodness of God. And there's a parallel with verses 2 and 3, speaking first of God's fulfillment of the psalmist's physical needs, the food and drink of the banquet, the cup overflowing, showing God's bountiful provision. And special guests at banquets in the ancient world were given sweet-smelling oils by the host that would be used to anoint their foreheads like a kind of perfume. So the psalmist is treated as an honoured guest in the house of God. But then also, like in verse 3, um, we see the psalmist speaks of God's fulfilment of his spiritual needs, so the goodness and mercy of God. And there's something more as well. They're not just physical and spiritual blessings for the present, because the psalmist concludes by saying... Um, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so the psalm looks beyond God's immediate care to the future, the hope of dwelling forever in God's presence, in God's house, the time when all present difficulties will be brought to an end. So let's sing um, again, and let's sing The Lord is My Shepherd, and praise the Lord, 110. He's going to read for us from John chapter 10, verses 7 to 18.
down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. Thank you. So this is another photograph from a collection of photographs of Palestine from the early 20th century. And it shows a sheepfold with the narrow entrance to prevent thieves or wild animals from entering to carry off the sheep. And the shepherd is guarding the entrance to the sheepfold. Again, we see the protective role of the shepherd as guardian of his sheep. So here in John 10, Jesus takes his image and applies it to himself, saying, I am the door of the sheep. He is the way by which we approach God. Here in John 10, Jesus was speaking to basically a Jewish audience. And as we saw earlier in Psalm 80, Jewish people, people of Israel, traditionally thought of themselves as God's flock and God as exclusively their shepherd. But Jesus says something quite radical here in verse 16. And he says, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. His sheep are not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles, those outside the traditional flock of God. So the sheep are all those who believe in and have faith in God and in Jesus. Through Jesus, through the door of the sheep, we too can become part of God's flock. And Jews and Gentiles can be united as one flock under one shepherd. And so Jesus is not just the door of the sheep, he's also the good shepherd, the one who leads and guides and cares for his sheep. Jesus as the good shepherd is also seen in one of Jesus' parables, the parable of the lost sheep. He's the shepherd who goes off in search of one, one lost sheep and rejoices when he finds it. In applying the Old Testament image of God as the shepherd of his people to himself, Jesus is making an important point. He's telling us that he has come to represent God, to show us what God is like. All that was said about God in the Old Testament now applies more fully and more perfectly than ever before to the Lord Jesus himself. But there is a key and central role which Jesus has as the Good Shepherd. See here in verse 11, the Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And why does he do this? Well, the answer is in another passage which refers to Jesus as our shepherd in uh, 1 Peter 2. And uh, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus came to show us the full extent of God's love for us by giving his life and sacrifice. And in doing so, he gave us a way to be healed of our sins, to find forgiveness to have a new relationship with God through him. So though we may go far away from God's ways, like scattered sheep, by giving his life, Jesus was able to draw us back to himself. Jesus, Remember, Jesus came not only for the people of Israel, but, but ultimately the people of all nations on earth, so that we today may be all part of his flock and look to him as our shepherd. So we're going to sing now. Loving Shepherd of Thy Sheep, after which we're going to have the bread and wine. So we come to 
break bread and pour out wine, to share those things, to eat and drink together. As we do so, let's reflect on the words of God that we've heard this morning. God, who is our shepherd, the shepherd of his redeemed people, the shepherd of each individual one of us, the shepherd who guards us physically and spiritually, who meets our spiritual and our physical needs. We think about the God who prepares a table for us, invites us to come into his presence. We think about Jesus, I am the good shepherd, he said, who lays down his life and takes up again, who brings each individual, each one of us, into his flock, that they might follow him, the one shepherd. We think of Jesus, the good shepherd, who leads us into God's presence, who refuses to lose even one of us, but bring us all together to live forever in the presence of God. Let's listen to what Jesus says to us. In very truth, I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. It was my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. The bread that God gives comes down from heaven and brings life to the world. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you, as I said, have seen and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and anyone who comes to me I will never turn away. I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. It is his will that I should not lose even one of those he has given me, but should raise them all up on the last day. For it is my Father's will that everyone who sees the Son and has faith in him should have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. David Brighouse is going to offer our prayer of thanks for the bread that we're about to share. So Jesus died for our sins. He came that we might enter into a new relationship with God and with himself as our shepherd. But Jesus says something else too. See in verse 10, he says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus laid down his life that we might have abundance of life. Full vindication of his self-sacrifice came only with the event which followed. Verse 17, resurrection. Jesus was obedient to his father's will, even to the point of his death on the cross. But in vindication of his obedience, his life revealing God's character so perfectly, Jesus was raised from the dead. He was given the power to take up his life again. And it's because of this resurrection that we too, who trust in Jesus, who are part of his flock, can also have hope of eternal life. Like the psalmist in Psalm 23, we hope to dwell in God's house forever. There's another powerful image of the Lord Jesus, which is used in the New Testament. When John the Baptist, who came to prepare the way for Jesus, saw Jesus coming towards him to be baptised, he said these words, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was not only the shepherd of his people, he also became the lamb offered in sacrifice. But not a helpless victim, but rather one who graciously and voluntarily offered himself, gave himself for the sins of the world. 
The book of Revelation uses symbolic language and visions to describe God's purpose. And we have in the book of Revelation an image of the Lord Jesus as a lamb, looking as though it had been slain. But this lamb is again no victim, but it's triumphant and glorified. The lamb is worshipped by four living creatures, which could be taken to represent the whole of creation, and 24 elders who perhaps perhaps represent God's people. And they sing songs to the lamb and worship the lamb. So we'll read about that now in Revelation chapter 5. Thank you. Let's sing together about that now, and he shall reign. This depiction of Jesus as the Good Shepherd comes from one of the catacombs, which is Christian burial places in Rome, and dates to approximately the 3rd century AD. 
In the early centuries of Christianity, the Good Shepherd was actually the most common way to depict Jesus, and it's an image that is often seen on paintings and other depictions of Jesus. And I like this image because it's so unlike later artistic impressions of Jesus, which often have the cross and crucifixion as the main focus. This shows Jesus in a more, maybe more natural, realistic way in his role as a shepherd. It has it has had such enduring appeal because of all the qualities of Jesus and of God which are encompassed by this image. I just thought you'd like to see that and share that with you. <clears throat> so, as we have seen, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to show us fully what God is like. Returning again to Psalm 23, we can see that each of the things we thought about God from that psalm apply equally to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus is our shepherd. He cares for us and protects us, looking for us when we're lost and bringing us home. He restores us and has given his life for us, that our sins may be forgiven and we may have a new relationship with him and with God. We can turn to him for help, just as a psalmist addressed God in prayer, saying, You are with me. He will bring us to his kingdom of justice and peace. At the end of the book of Revelation, like at the end of Psalm 23, there is another picture of a great feast, a wedding banquet, shared by Jesus with those who have followed him, which represents the time of his return to earth and the coming of his kingdom. He will give us everlasting life so that we may dwell with him forever. So Tom's going to conclude our service in prayer after we've sung our last song, which is Praise the Lord 53 in heavenly love abiding, which is based on, again, on Psalm 23.